You are listening to Jesus Stories, a teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series takes a look at the stories or parables Jesus told and how they relate to our lives and the world around us. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Uh, this morning we are, we're continuing on in our Jesus Stories series, and this series is a five-part series. We're in the second, uh, the second message today, and what this is about, it's all about these parables that Jesus told, these, these stories that he told uh, mainly to religious leaders, but also to his disciples and other groups of people. Um, and one of the things about Jesus' stories that I really appreciate is that uh, he, with the mind of God, with the ability to know and see and understand all things, comes down into the human world and makes things understandable and palatable for us. He's, you can think of him kind of like a, a medical doctor who is dealing in big terms all day and reading these medical books all day and then goes home to his little daughter at home and she's got a tummy ache. And he says, oh honey, does your, does your tummy hurt? You know, he's, he's, not, he's not throwing out the big terms and that, you know, we've got an N4 on our hands here, honey. Uh, get, you know, get the, you know, long name. Met. But no, he's coming. He's, Baby, your tummy hurts. Can daddy do anything for your tummy? In the same way, when Jesus tells these stories, he's communicating in such a way that uh, our simple little minds can understand the big things that God wants to communicate to his People And I was thinking last night even about the idea, you know, people say that a picture is like a thousand words. You, you, when you look at a picture, it's like you could see a thousand different things in there. In the same way with the Jesus stories, when you look at one of his stories, there's, there's so much meaning and depth in, in, a, in a story told by Jesus that you could look at that thing for hours. I could sit with my scriptures open and just, even just this story we're reading today about this wedding banquet that we'll get to here in a minute. I could sit with that thing and, and all of us, we could sit with that and we could look at that and read over that and meditate on that. And, and it's like a deep well that just continues to go down. There's, there's always more and more and more and more that we can get out of these stories of God. And so we'll touch on a few things this morning, but uh, we surely won't get to it all because this story is deep and it has a depth to it and a meaning to it that uh, we're, we're only going to touch the surface of it. But if you want to, I guess today you can go home and, you know, study and meditate and think on these things more and, and get some more. I probably won't do that. I'll probably sleep. But if you want to, you can. You can. So this story is a story about a wedding. And I don't know about you, but I personally, I love weddings. I love going to weddings. I love celebrating weddings. I love dancing at weddings. Although, uh, if you've ever seen Seinfeld, I'm a little bit like Elaine, you know, in my dance moves. I, I can't, you know, that's about all I got right there. And, uh, but I love weddings. And if you ever see me at a wedding, you'll probably laugh at me because I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the emotional guy at a wedding. I, my wife turns to me and she's like, baby, that's so sweet. What just happened? Well, I know, it's so, so sweet. You know, it's, I'm bawling my eyes out because I'm just, I'm, I'm ecstatic about what's going on right here, especially if it's someone that I'm close to. If it's someone that I'm close to, I just, I love being there with them and being in that moment and, and, and shake, I mean, if I get to shake their hand or give them a hug, I just, I feel so privileged. It's why we, you know, you kind of got to pay at the wedding to dance with the people because, you know, it's a, it's a special thing and we're getting in on something really sweet in that moment. And, and what's going on here at this story is, is it's, a, it's the wedding of a king's son. And so the way Jesus sets this up is he says, guys, he's talking to these religious leaders, these religious leaders who really don't like him and really don't like what Jesus is doing. And he tells this story. He says, hey, let me tell it to you like this, guys. He says, there's a, there's a wedding and a king is, is having a wedding feast for his son. His son's getting married. The prince is getting married in the kingdom. And, and the king's having a wedding feast. And the, these wedding feasts would uh, typically last about seven days. 
mean, they knew how to party. You know what I'm saying? These guys knew how to get on with it. And they, they'd have plenty of food and plenty of drink. And there'd be celebrations and festivities. And you think we got like, you know, a couple dances at our weddings. These guys had some dances at their This is an overnight party for a whole week that's going on. Here, I mean, they, they really know how to kick it at a wedding. And, and they're getting after it. And the king, Jesus said, has, he's taken the finest oxen. The oxen that he's been preparing that is the, the finest animal that he had. Animals in that day and age almost like celebrate. They almost, they're almost to the point of like worshiping animals because they loved the meat, right? It says that he took the fattest calf. The father picked all his livestock and he went, oh, that's the fattest one. I'm going to get the fattest one for my son. In this day and age, it, it was similar to ours that uh, when you had a wedding, you would throw out a save the date months in advance, right? And so this king had already sent out the save the date to all of his, his, his special invites, right? So not everybody in the kingdom was invited to the wedding, but only a select few or a select group of people were invited to the wedding. And he had sent out the save the dates and all the people were like, oh yeah, king, we'll be at the wedding. We'll for sure be at your son's wedding. We're not going to miss that for anything. Nothing's going to get in the way of me coming to your wedding. So the king, on the wedding day, you know, they didn't have like emails and cell phones and that kind of thing. So on the wedding day, the king gets up and he gets his servants together. And he's like, guys, my son, my son's getting married today. Go out, go out, tell all the people who saved the date. Tell all the people who got the invite months ago. Tell them, today is the day. It's not like I'm, I'm putting the seasoning on the pork. It's like that thing is in the smoker. And we're ready, to, we're ready to get this thing going. Today is the day. And he sends out all his servants. The king's, you know, at home. And he's, in his cat, and he's waiting for all his servants to come back with these floods of people to celebrate his son. This king, is, he's a good father. He loves his son. He delights in his son. He, he's looking to throw a party for his son because he wants everybody to know that his son is, is the real deal. His son is something worth celebrating. This, this wedding is the thing in the kingdom. Like every business is getting shut down. Nobody's working on the farm. Nobody's staying home. Like we're celebrating the son's wedding today. And the king's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And these servants, his servants begin to come back, but there's not people with them. His servants begin to come back and they're alone. There's, there's no wedding guests coming with his servants. And his servants come back and they begin telling the king, yeah, we, yeah, we tried to get your invites out there. We, we tried to get people to come, but everybody was unwilling. Literally no one came to the wedding feast. This king just cooked the fattest calf. He's got everything going on. This is, the, this is the party of the century. Nobody shows up. Not a single person. I'm, I'm married. I've been married about three and a half years. I'm kind of new to this whole marriage thing. But I, I've learned a few things over three and a half years. And uh, two Christmases ago, you know, I, I, I didn't really know what my wife would want for Christmas. You know, she has a lot of different interests. And I was kind of stuck on like, what am I going to get her for Christmas this year? And uh, so I did what any intelligent man would do. I just didn't get her anything. You know what I'm saying? And I was, and so, but I told her, I told her, you know, hey, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to put some money aside. We're going to get you something special that you want. I told her, like, as the presents were getting passed out, you know, like, I didn't get you anything. Don't hate me. I'm a good husband. I'll get you something. 
So I, I kind of learned my lesson on that one. Like you get your wife a gift on Christmas, right? I made up for it the next year. All you ladies are like, oh no, he didn't. You're kidding me. But us men, we, we instinctively know some things, even if I didn't, we instinctively know some things about women, right? Like we know that certain dates are important and you shouldn't forget those dates. Like I, 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 proposed, to my, I, I proposed to my wife on her birthday because I didn't want to forget. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I asked her out on January 24th. I married her on March 24th because I didn't want to confuse the numbers. I was like, if I get 24 in there, I'm good. I can remember 24. My stepdad, he taught me. I mean, he's, he's like paving the way for me. He got one of those plaques for, you know, like uh, Jeff and Kathy got married. He got one of those plaques. He hung it up in his backyard. They got married in the middle of the summertime. He's a freak about his lawn. His lawn has always got to be just right. He hung that plaque up so every time he was mowing, he could look up and be like, okay, it's not today. All right. <laughs> you know, we know we shouldn't forget these things. And yet all these people come back to this king, actually the servants come back, they don't, even do, they don't even respect him enough to come back to his face, they say, I'm sorry, we're busy today. To take it even a little further of how disrespectful this is, this is like, because we just can't comprehend this because we don't have kings and princes and we don't have this honor system going on in our culture, but to take this like a little bit more, make it hit home a little bit more, this would be like seeing a bride on her wedding day and being like, Dang, you look ugly in that dress. Are you, like, you're going to wear that on your wedding day? That looks horrible on, right? You're just like, no, that's not going to happen. No one's, no one's ever going to do that to a bride on her wedding day. But that's what these guys are doing to this king. And, and not showing up to the son's wedding feast, they're disrespecting the king to that degree. They're, they're disrespecting him so far that the king would even begin to think, are they committing treason on me? Like, is there some private party going on that's going to be revolting against the king? Because to not show up at my son's wedding feast, that's the biggest slap in the face that you can get in this day and age. And to put it in even bigger perspective, let's, let's put some names to faces here. So the king, this is God. God's the king. The son he's throwing the feast for, this is Jesus, God's son. The wedding banquet is the great day when Jesus gets his church or his people together and he celebrates that he's finally got them to himself. That's the wedding banquet that he's invited everybody to show up to. The servants are the messengers of God or the prophets. These, these prophets, Moses and all the prophets who have been prophesying about this king who would come. This Messiah, the Son of God that would come. John the Baptist who, who said, I'm, I'm preparing the way of the Lord. That when he comes, they might follow him. This is the servants, or or those who are sending out the messengers to the feast. In this day and age, when a king had good news that he wanted to spread across the kingdom, he would get uh, his evangelists or his heralds to go out across the kingdom and spread the good news that something good has happened, like he's won a victory or his son's getting married. These servants or these evangelists went out These prophets of old went out and and told all these people, hey, save the date. And they said, we'll save the date. The guests who didn't come are are the Jews. Specifically in this story, the Jewish religious leaders who said to God, God, when you send that Messiah, we'll be waiting for him. We'll be expecting him. We'll definitely show up when he comes. We're gonna be the first in line because we've gotta lead all the Jewish people 
to come to this Messiah and to bow down before this Messiah or this son at this feast. You see, as we begin to fill this story out, we see Jesus is actually talking. He's, in this story, he's pointing to the very men that, he's, that are in front of him. He's actually sh- publicly shaming them. He's publicly gathered them together and they're, they're calling him out and he turns the tables and he says, no guys, I'm going to call you out. You said, that you, would, you, you said that you would come to the Messiah. You said that you would come to the wedding banquet when God made it ready. And yet the Messiah has come and you're nowhere to be found. It's just like what Jesus said in John five thirty nine of these religious leaders. He says, you guys search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Funny thing about these religious leaders, they would have studied their entire life the scriptures. They would have studied the, the entire Old Testament leading up until where Jesus came. They would have studied that thing and they would have known it like the back of their hand. They had, they had significant portions of the Old Testament memorized by heart. You could be sitting with them around a campfire and they would just begin reciting to you the stories of Scripture. Word for word, they knew them. And Jesus comes to them and he says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see what he's saying? He's saying, guys, look, you study the Scriptures. These servants, these prophets have come to you and you said that you would believe them. You study the scriptures thinking that in those scriptures, in, in the words on the book, you're going to have eternal life. But, w- but you don't come to me. You refuse to come to me that you may actually have life. These religious leaders had gotten so caught up in their own world. They'd gotten so caught up in the things they wanted to do and the things that they were involved with. They got, they got so caught up with their head being filled with, with all these ideas about God and then them filling them in with their own ideas about, about God. That when Jesus showed up, they were so blind they couldn't even see him. They missed the entire thing. Perhaps God had mercy or patience or grace with these religious leaders because Jesus says that this king sent his servants out a second time. He says that he sent out a second group of servants. I don't know what the king was thinking. Maybe he just thought, you know, these, these, these guests that I invited to my wedding, my son's wedding, maybe they just didn't realize what I meant when I said today was the day. Maybe they thought I meant like next week was the day. Or maybe they, maybe they had a problem with the first set of servants that I sent. It can be like that sometimes today. You know, maybe you're looking, maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for God and you're wanting to connect to God and the way that I say something to you just doesn't rub you right. Or the way that I am, you just, you just don't connect with that. And, 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 and it's kind of like I'm this first servant to you. It came to you to say, it's all about Jesus. You're like, I don't like that guy. Well, maybe in God's mercy... He'd send you somebody else, and I'd be so happy about that. These first servants would have been so happy about that. They would have been so satisfied if the, if the guests would have responded to the second set of servants because they didn't care of who they responded to. They just wanted to know that they would come to the, to the king's party, right? So the king, in his grace, in his, in his kindness, he sends a second set of servants. But even then, the great majority of those who heard the first and the second invitation, as we can see in the verse... They paid no attention. They paid no attention at all. They made light of it, or they, 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 they handled it with disregard. They just ignored it. They kind of just brushed it off as, ah, it's the king. Who cares? It's just the king. The bulk, the bulk of our society still handles God this way. The bulk of our culture and our, and our, our entire world actually still handles God this way. Ah, it's just God. I'll get to him when I have time. 
oh, it's just God. I'll kind of do it in my own, in my own way, in my own time, whenever I can get around to the thing. Oh, it's just, it's just God's invitation. It's not a big deal to me. If I make it, I make it. But you know what? I'm kind of busy with other things right now. It's this whole idea that there's, there's no urgency in the matter. For so many in our culture, and maybe even you today, there's, it's lo- the, the call of God to come to him and to give your life to him and to know Jesus in this deep and intimate way has lost its urgency to you. There's people who, who live their whole lives and say, I'm just going to put it off a little bit longer. I'm just going to put off coming to God a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And they get on their deathbed and they call for a pastor. Say, oh, pastor, can you just make me right so that when I go with God, I'll be okay? But in this story, these people didn't have the opportunity to do that. Because they put God off and they brushed God off like that, God dealt with them in their, ca- in their, in their casualness towards him. It says that some of them went off. They went off to do their own thing. They went off, some to their farms, where it was comfortable and easy. They disregarded the feast of God to go to their homes and their farms, where it was comfortable and easy and they wouldn't be confronted with maybe the way God was going to do things at his party. They went to their businesses where success and money and making a name for themselves was more important than the king's son. The first two groups of people that we see here, they passively rejected the invitation, right? They just kind of brush it off. Oh, no, 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 I'm busy. Thanks anyway. They didn't openly come out and say, king, we hate your son. There's no way we'll be at his wedding. No, they just kind of brushed it off. They were just a little casual towards it. Oh, no, no, no. Thanks, though. I, I, I'm doing a few other things, but carry on. Have a good party. You Christians kind of just get on with what you're doing. I, it's nice. I'm glad you're doing that. And it's a good, looks like a good party, but I'll just keep doing my own thing. The second group of people is a little more active in their rejection of God's son. We see in the text that they mistreated or shamefully treated and even murdered the messengers of the king. They hated the king. They hated everything the king stood for. You might look at this and think, well, how do you know that they hated the king? It looks like they just hated the servants because they didn't kill the king. They just killed the servants. But yes, who do the servants represent? The servants represent the king, right? And so in killing the servants and shamefully treating the servants, They're killing or shamefully treating the king himself. When you inflict pain or you treat shamefully a servant of a king, you've you've outright committed treason against that king because the servant is under his authority, right? In the same way it is today, throughout all the world, there are Christians who are being persecuted and murdered for their faith, shamefully treated because they claim the king, Jesus. In our culture, it's not so common that someone would be killed for their faith, but other things can be shamefully treated, like reputation, maybe. Or how you fit in, or who gets along with you, because you claim this king. You may be outright rejected if you were to follow this king. You may be outright rejected if you were to come to this son, Jesus, today. God would accept you. The king would be pleased with you. But there may be many in the kingdom there may be many in, the, in this place that we call earth that wouldn't. They would outright reject. Similar to what Jesus said in John 13 and then again in John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant's not greater than his master. Here it is. He says, if they persecuted me, 
they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. I.e., if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But if they love me, they're also going to love you. It's this idea that if we, if we ever want to be the fragrance of life to people, then we have to be willing to be the fragrance of death to them. The moment that a Christian opens their mouth and they says, Jesus is the hope of the world, in that moment they become a fragrance. And to those who are being saved, they become a fragrance of life and joy and peace. And to those who are rejecting God, they become a fragrance of death. To be only rejected and pushed away by the culture. It's the call of the servants, though, to honor the king. To be his heralds and his ambassadors and his evangelists. To fill the kingdom with this good news. That the king's son is having a wedding feast. And that many are invited to that feast. There's good news, though, that the messenger isn't responsible for the response of the people. The messenger is only responsible to send out the invitation. Those who were first invited to the wedding feast were the Jews, but they didn't come. And therefore, just like Jesus prophesied in the story, Jerusalem was destroyed. But the great king of heaven, God, he moves on from those who reject him or push him away. And he moves on to those who will receive the invitation. In the story, we see that, if we can have it up here on the screen, that the command of the king moves on and he says, As many as you find, as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found. The king, he says, as many as you find, any human being you can find, any soul on the earth, any person that you cross paths with, make a point to invite him to my feast. I'm looking for a people who will celebrate my son. That's the point of the story. The king's looking for a people who will celebrate his son. And he says to his servants, as many as you find, it doesn't matter how they are, how they look, or what they're like, or what their background is, or where they've come from, or who their parents are, what job they have, or what what sin they've committed, or what crime they've done. If they're in prison, if they're in a home, if they're in a mansion, doesn't matter to God. How much money's in their wallet, doesn't matter to God. He says, anyone you find, invite them in, both bad and good. All the people that society would call bad and wicked and evil and corrupt, he says, invite them in. All the people that society would call good and moral moral citizens and law-abiding citizens, he says, I don't care, invite them in. The whole thing's been opened up to everyone, right? What this is pointing to, it's pointing to the moment that Jesus came on the scene and he says, salvation is no longer only for the people of Israel, salvation is for all the people of the earth. For anyone who would call on the name of the Lord, they would be saved. This, this whole thing, this whole faith system, this whole idea that people can come into a relationship with God, it's been opened up to the nations. It's been opened up to every people group on the face of the earth. Whether you're a tribe in Africa, or you're in a hut somewhere else, or whether you're, you're poor and impoverished, or whether you're rich, and it, the whole thing's been opened up. Any person who would want to can come to the king. It's as Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, one, he says, come everyone who thirst, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Notice a few things that Isaiah says in this verse. He says, come everyone who thirsts. What's the qualification for coming to God this morning? It's that we're thirsty for him. The only qualification 
It's that we're thirsty for him. The only qualification is that we want him more than we want other things. The moment we become satisfied with ourselves or satisfied with anything this world can give us, and that is our ultimate satisfaction, we're unqualified to come to God. But the moment we come to God on our knees saying, oh God, I need you, he says, you're ready for me. He says, come to the waters. Waters represent life. Waters represent fullness. Waters represent satisfaction. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Be satisfied. Be fulfilled. Be made full with God. Doesn't matter if you have money. Come buy wine, joy, happiness, overflowing joy. Buy loads of wine. From who? From God. He'll fill you. Buy milk, abundance, or provision. More than we could ever ask or imagine. See what Isaiah is saying? He's saying everything we could need, everything we could want, can be found in God when we come to him. And it's for everyone. It's for everyone who thirsts. Everyone who thirsts. And this thing, this is a thing that we can invite people into. You see, all the servants did is they made a little invitation. All the, they didn't have some big amount of knowledge in their head. They didn't have all these great arguments. They didn't have all these compelling reasons although there were plenty of compelling reasons, they just made a simple invitation. The king says, come sit at my table. I've been so encouraged by some of the people in our church recently who have been making compelling invitations to other people. Just remember last week when Dennis Edney baptized Patrick, I was so filled with joy seeing that. All I did was invite him along. They worked together and he says, hey Patrick, come along. I want you to come to this. Jake Cooper invited Kevin Driscoll to Men's Advance. Kevin came to Men's Advance and he met with God in a powerful way. Why? Because Jake made a simple invitation. Because he opened it up to him. Kevin didn't know that he could come and experience the love and the mercy of God. And then Jake said, hey Kevin, come on. And he came on and he encountered the living God. Megan Crabtree, I don't know if she's in here, but she, that girl invites people like crazy. I still remember when Alyssa first invited her. Well, what turned Megan into an inviter? Well, she met with the love of God. She encountered this God of grace and mercy. She encountered this king who's throwing a party for his son. She said, I've got to invite people to this. So she's bringing people all the time. So many people in our church. I could name, I could name dozens of people in our church who are bringing people all the time. Why? Because they've encountered something of the love of God. When we encounter the king, we're compelled to invite. When we come to his party, we recognize it's not a closed door party. We recognize that it's not just a party for us. We recognize that it's something to invite others into. If he's a welcoming king, I'm a welcoming God, and he's all about celebrating his son. He's all about getting more people to the party. But not everyone who says yes to the invitation is there for the right reason. Not everyone's there to celebrate the son. There's many people who come to God, and they're just in it for their own benefit. Now here's the thing, there's a lot of benefit in becoming a Christian. There's a lot of benefit in coming to know God. There's a joy and a peace and a life and a hope that is, is more than we could find in any other thing. But some come only for those things and not for the king himself. They come just for the fattened calf, just for the good meal at the table, and not for the king and his son. What do you do with someone who comes to God like that? Well, this is the man that we meet at the end of the story. Matthew twenty two eleven. but when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no 
wedding garment. Now, clothing in this day and age, we could keep that verse up. Clothing in this day and age was, uh, it was, it was a sign of honor, not just to the person who was wearing it, but to the people that you were coming to celebrate. So if I dressed up really shabby and dull, yes, it would look bad on me, but it would also communicate to the people, to the, to the wedding groom and bride that, that I was not really interested in them. It would communicate that I didn't respect them or honor them that much because I would dress like this at their wedding. In our day and age, it's a little bit different. It's probably more lean towards how much honor does it bring to us, depending on how we dress. In this day and age, it was very heavily weighted on how much honor are you bringing to the bride and the groom in the way that you dress. And this man didn't have any wedding garments at all. And you may say, well, what is a wedding garment? There's a few places in Scripture that give us a hint, but I think Isaiah 61.10 lays it out the best. Isaiah writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in God. He's saying, I'm going to worship God, just like we did this morning in our singing. I'm going to worship God this morning. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Notice the word garments. So what is the wedding garment in the story? Well, it's a garment of salvation. Well, what's a garment of salvation? Isaiah continues on. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. Paul says in in Romans 3 that righteousness comes by faith in Jesus. So to connect the dots here, this garment that this man didn't have is that he didn't have the garment of salvation or the robe of righteousness. And if righteousness only comes through faith in Jesus, then what did this man have? He didn't have a faith in Jesus, right? So he came to the king's party for the king's son, and yet he didn't come to celebrate the son. He came just to get a free meal, He came just to get something for himself, but he didn't put on the free gift of the garment, the wedding garment that the king would have provided for him. Some would say that, oh, this man should have brought his own wedding garment. He would have needed to provide his own own garment for the wedding to look nice and honor the son. But that that would make us think that we need to bring something to our own salvation, would it not? That would make us think that we need to bring something in order to present to God to make him happy with us. But that's not at all the point of the story. The point of the story is that these three groups of people, the, the passive rejectors and the active rejectors and the man without a wedding garment, they're all not there to celebrate the son. The point of the story is that God's throwing a party for his son and he wants everyone to celebrate him. The man without the wedding garment says, I'm not going to celebrate the son. I'm not going to believe in the son. I'm not going to receive the gift of the son. Why? Probably because he's prideful and arrogant and not willing to humble himself to say, I need the son. But as Isaiah says, this is God clothing him. It's a free gift. He doesn't say, I clothed myself with garments of salvation. No, he says, he clothed me with garments of salvation. See what God does when we come to him is he clothes us with garments of salvation. He puts his clothing on us. He puts, he puts the image of his son on us and he says, I accept you because you're mine. As God said to Israel, I love you because I love you. He didn't say I love you because of anything you did. He didn't say I love you because you're a great and mighty people. No, God said to Israel, I love you because I love you. So what happened to this man? The story says that he was cast into the outer darkness or the abode of darkness, the place that darkness dwells. He was cast into this wicked place where all evil people go. He was cast into this place where there's no light, there's no life, there's no joy. It's the abode of darkness. It's a dark and horrible place where he was thrown. And the reason he was thrown there 
is because he didn't celebrate the son. The reason he was thrown there is because he didn't allow Jesus to put his garment on him. It's a warning for us from Jesus. It's a warning from Jesus. Don't try and be your own righteousness. It's a warning from Jesus to us. Don't try and be your own salvation. Don't try and come to me with your good works or your life cleaned up. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in what you can put on yourself. I'm interested in what I can put on you, says the Lord. It's a warning from God to us that if we're going to come to him, we have to come to him his way. We've got to come to him through his son, through the garment that his son would put on us. It's a warning and it's a promise all in the same moment. It's a warning. Don't come trying to make yourself right in God's eyes, but come and let God put his garment on you. Come and let God put his righteousness on you. It's a wonderful promise for us. But let us not lose the warning either that if we don't come and allow God to put his garment on us, we too will be thrown into the outer darkness. It's only by faith in Jesus that someone can be saved. It's only by faith in him that we can come to the party of God. Jesus ends this story with a statement. It says, many are called, but few are chosen. What he's saying is many invited, but few put on the garment. Many are called, but some passively reject it, some actively reject it, and others, they come. They think they're in, but they just don't put on the garment. His message to us is, come to the party of God. Come this morning to the party of God. Don't passively or actively reject it. No, no, no. Come now. It's an urgent thing. It's to be received today, but also put on the garment of Jesus. So what do we do? One thing we could do is we could say yes to God's invitation. God's invited us to celebrate his son. We could say yes to that and come and celebrate his son. Another thing, put on the garment of Jesus. And finally, so important for all of us to hear that we invite others to the party. This thing that we're doing in September is so exciting that we're going to invite five people. All of us invite five people on one day. I mean, if you did the math on everybody inviting five, and, and even just from a statistical purpose, the odds of how many people would come and hear about Jesus on that day. It's exciting for us. There's also this reality in Scripture that the, the day to invite is today. The day to bring people is today. The good news is today. Jesus says, don't, don't say that the harvest is in a few months from now. No, the harvest is white today. So go out and begin inviting people today to this good news of Jesus. It's an incredible story for us today, and it's one that we can respond to with faith and receive with encouragement as well as warning. If you'd grab out your communication card, just want to walk us through a few quick things.